Good morning. Thank you, everyone. Um, welcome to the exhibit where we have profound conversations with profound people. I'm Tony Smith, and uh, joining us today is Yante, my co-host Yante Johnson and Jason Stover, and we welcome uh, Craig Safo. Absolutely. As our as a, as our guest today, and um, we're gonna we're gonna talk more about about Craig and find out more of who he is. But uh, some of the things that I do know uh, is that over uh, 25 years working in zoos in the zoo business as a zookeeper, biologist, and now as a curator, curator of large animals at the Smithsonian at the National Zoo. Uh, now, I think this only speaks to kind of like the job the job you've done, but I think we're more interested in finding about um, more about who you are and kind of what what led you down this path, led you here. Oh man, do you want the um, you want the abridged version or the? Uh... <laughs> we want the law. We want the whole story. Yeah, late, late the whole thing. All right, I love it. I love it. Um, wow. Well, thank you. That's um, thank you for that introduction. That's uh, it, that is my career in a nutshell. You know the 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 career. Um, it has been, I've been really lucky in, in the pathway that I've taken and the people it's, it's run me across and, and it's kind of one of those, I don't want to get all, um, you know, metaphysical or anything, but it's kind of like the stars and moon all aligned. Uh, and that starts with who, geez, who I am as a person. I grew up in a military family. Um, my father was a, a career military officer. Uh, served in Vietnam, and um, so that gives you an idea of my age, anyway. <laughs> um, so, uh, you know, born in the in the mid seventies, uh, my mother was a school teacher, um, and they, I was the the third of three kids, the only only uh, boy in our family. Uh, so, two older sisters, um, you know, raised raised in a what I consider a very typical family. Um, but uh, when my parents, when I started as I was an adolescent, I just, I, I did what, what I think a lot of kids do. I fell in love with animals, you know, and, um, and just, you know, I think having kids of my own now, I see kids love animals. They love the idea of, of teaching. They love the idea of, um, of doing some kind of a service work like policing, uh, or, or, or being a doctor. Yeah. And, um, my, my love was animals. I think it scared the 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 uh, life out of my parents because neither one of them, through their careers, knew anything about animals. Um, so my, um, the, I think they secretly hoped that that love would would start to fade out and I would get interested in something else. That like my father probably hoped I would go the military route, but I don't um I don't take direction very well, so I don't think I would be uh <laughs> I don't think I would be a good soldier, you know. Um, you know, so, uh, so, you know, the love for animals stayed. And in that time, my father passed. So my mom was, um, you know, raising this, this teenage boy who was expressing a love for animals. Uh, and, and honestly, from there, you, you really start to learn um, a lot, especially as you reflect, you start to learn a lot about your family. And um, my father died of sickle cell. Uh, so that was not a, it wasn't like, a big tragic surprise i mean obviously losing your father when you're a young kid that that sucks but what it did for me was showed me who my mother was you know and who how strong she was in the sense of um you know not realizing it at the time because i was a, a young kid you know uh six six years old when he passed but you know by the time i was a teenager I kind of took my mom for granted and that mom's always there. Mom's always doing the job. She's, she's making sure everything is done. We never had to worry about anything, never understanding how much work she put in to make all that happen. Um, so looking back in hindsight, it's like, wow. Okay. So she not only kept us going, but kept us believing that everything was normal, you know, um, yeah. that there, there were no problems. And, um, and we did all of that. Now she had help herself. Like uh, the one thing I'll say is that people complain about military life, but the army took care of my mom. You know, after after dad passed away, Ma, the army made sure we all went to school on uh, the GI Bill. Uh, so 
that was that financially that was taken care of. Um, you know, the, the housing, no problem. House was paid for, everything was good. So that was great. So we were very lucky. Um, and, and the other thing my mom did was really fostered, helped me to help to foster my love for animals. Um, so where I grew up in North Carolina, I don't know about where, uh, about how things are, where people who are listening to this might be from, but we used to have that old style gutter system, uh, in the, in uh, the storm drains, uh, in the neighborhood. So, you know, the rainwater would go down the storm drains while well, the storm drains were covered by these big iron grates. And yeah. if you, if you work hard enough, you can get a couple guys together. You can pick up that grate. Yeah. And and foolish little boys will go down into the gutter, you know, and um and and you know go exploring or whatever. We wait, never wait, wait, Craig, Craig, yeah. I I I was I never did that part. I, know I you never did. About, but I I wasn't. I did it. I didn't. Craig, I'm, I'm with not, you. I'm, okay, okay, okay. okay. Right, I mean, well, back to the story. It might maybe this is it's a North Carolina thing. I don't know, but <laughs> but we it's a country uh, thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we, you know we played around. We we went in there, and I found a um a cat living in the gutter uh we didn't find any alligators or anything like that but uh, we didn't go way down in the gutters but we would go down there like hide from from our friends or whatever and, or if we if we dropped a ball down there or whatever we'd go get it and uh and when i found that cat i started feeding the cat uh and then mom found out that i was feeding the cat uh mom didn't like that <laughs> right, right. so she said but you know again she was trying not to squash my enthusiasm um but what she said was okay the first thing you're not going to do is you're not going to feed a stray animal so if you're going to feed that animal it's you're going to take care of it it's going to be your pet you're going to take care of it so you're going to catch it and you're going to take it to the vet hospital um okay yeah. so how do i catch a cat so that was literally i geez i must have been 14 13 or 14 somewhere in that range how do i catch an alley cat, you know, it's a stray cat running around the neighborhood. I cannot honestly tell you how I did it, but I know I did it because that cat ultimately ended up coming to DC with me and lived with me in DC for, for a few years before she died. Uh, wow. So so that would have been easily seven or eight years of, of me having her. Uh, so I caught the cat, took it to the vet hospital. Um, and in that same decision, uh, the vet said, okay, Cat seems okay, but she's pregnant. And my mom okay. said at the same time, okay, no way are we contributing to the to the feral cat population. So she mom, even though she didn't know a lot about animals, she knew enough not to have us have me doing something that was going to be long-term detrimental. So she said, you have a decision to make and you have this is your responsibility. So I ended up making the decision to get the kittens aborted. Um, so that was one of my first uh, kind of hard decisions, you know, for a 13, 14 year old kid. That's a, it's a decision you have to make. And, and I had to come up with heavy. to do it. Yeah. yeah. And, and in hindsight, like, honestly, that's that's an animal management decision. That's that's exactly what I do for a living now. You know, um, so mom, mom kind of helped me uh, really push, even though she didn't fully get that she was pushing me to, to help yeah. to learn how to make these decisions. So from there, it just became, I, I fell in love with, with what I do. That cat uh, named her Hobbes because I used to read the old Calvin and Hobbes books. Um, she was a, a gray tabby, you know, so mm -hmm. just like any anybody who's ever seen cats, you've seen a, a gray tabby running around. Um, I kept Hobbes for a long time. Uh, like I said, she she when I went off to college, I took her with me. Um, once I got an apartment in college, took her with me. I uh, couldn't take her to the dorm my freshman year. Um, and then so you so that, was, that I think my me? son snuck a dog in his dorm room. Oh yeah, no my uh, my sweet mates mates would have killed me and then probably killed her too. <laughs> 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 so I'm I'm not sure. I don't think they would have reacted well to that. But so that's how I got in to this and and like i said I, I give the you know my dad used to watch mutual of omaha's wild kingdom all the time and i would sit on his lap and watch that show so that's one of the few memories i i have as i get older i keep i keep losing my memory of years but like i said he was six when i pat when he passed so it uh i remember watching wild kingdom and that must have stuck with me and then i remember all these lessons that mom helped me 
to gain when she saw that the love wasn't going, the love of animals wasn't going anywhere. Uh, and she pushed me into making adult decisions, you know, and helped me to realize that, okay, I want to do something working with animals when I, when I get older. Um, and from there, I mean, by the, by that time that I was in high school, I started working at a vet clinic. Um, mm -hmm. I did the kennels at a vet clinic, which if anybody listening has ever worked in a vet kennel you, or a vet clinic, you know, the people who do the kennels are basically the janitors um, who come through and uh, all the, the sick dogs that, that, uh, you know, have everything from vomit to diarrhea in their cages and you have to take them out, sometimes clean the dogs and cats off themselves, clean up the mess. You you learn how how much you can deal with at that point. And I loved it. I mean, honestly, I, I, I loved it. It was, uh, it was fantastic um, and solidified that I wanted to work with animals. The thing that I didn't know, though, was what I wanted to do, except that, well, I guess I want to be a veterinarian. So I, I went to NC State because NC State has, well, I was, I grew up in North Carolina, so it was an in-state in tuition. Um, right. uh, so that was easy to do. Even though we had the GI Bill, I wasn't trying to, you know, break the bank and go to some private, private, uh, you know, expensive school. Um, and I, and they, and NC State has a good veterinary school. Um, so I said, okay, I guess I'm going to go pre-vet and become a veterinarian. And um, really had no idea why, except that I loved animals. And this is what, I guess, what you're supposed to do. And I think um, as I've looked through things in, in hindsight, I think, I don't know if this is a uh, a, a thing in, in the Black community or if it's a thing in society in general because I don't, I don't know I only I only grew up in in the black community but right. I think we sometimes we have things set up that well you're supposed to do this when you're this age you do this when you're this age yep. you do this and then you go yep. off and you so you you go off to college you go off then you get a job then you go off you get married and you have kids and you do this that and the other thing but um but when when there's a curveball thrown in there of what you really what your passion really is, it's hard to find the people who have the expertise to help drive you in the exact right direction. So painting with a broad brush and saying, I'm going to go to vet school. Well, that's a big, that's a big broad brush. And there's a whole lot of people applying for a, a very few spots in vet school. So what happened? It's like, it's like when, when kids say, I want to go play basketball. So I'm going to go, I'm going to go pro. Well, <laughs> <laughs> Let's see what the odds say on you going pro. So what what are you going to do? So I I I don't know. I kind of just was blindly going through my pre vet. So I went through my freshman year, and then in my sophomore year, uh, NC State is of course a PWI. So uh, so being a primarily white institution, there were okay. two black black kids in our in the pre vet program when I went. Now this was 1994. Yeah, 1992 I entered. Now I'm in 1994. Um, and my the other uh, black student was a young lady who still we're still friends to this day. You know, um, she's fantastic. Neither one of us became veterinarians, um, but we both have good solid careers. Um, so two black students in in this sea of students you know yeah. uh, well we're taking our undergrad courses and in my sophomore year i had a professor dr alston mills never never forget her she's awesome she's a black woman and um, she asked me one day she was my professor of uh, anatomy and physiology of farm animals um and um you know it's a good course it's fine and she said, I remember very clearly, um, you know, and if anybody listening to this is, it, it, I hope this doesn't come across negatively. I, I hope people understand what I'm saying. If you've ever talked to a motherly black woman, then mm. you know the tone of voice that I got. I got, yeah. Mr. Sappho, can you stay after class? And I went, and my heart just went straight down to my knees. I have no idea what I've done, but her yeah. tone of voice let me know something. This wasn't just a, um, uh, tell me more about yourself, but it really was. Um, so I stayed after class. Yes, ma'am. And uh, and she said, so Mr. Sappho, why are you taking my class? And I said, Chris, Craig, Craig, yes. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a jump in and interrupt you right there um, because I want to, before you go into this next chapter, right? 
mm -hmm. I want to kind of just maybe have the opportunity for us to ask you just of course. A, yeah, a few a, a few questions. Um, first one, first one being, did you ever did you ever question it like along the way, like question your journey up until that point along the way? Not at all. Um, not at all. And I, I, I it, that's both a good and a bad thing. I think um, I I knew I wanted to work with animals. I wish I had asked more questions. I, I was lucky enough to, like I said, I worked in a veterinary clinic. So I thought that was it. Uh, prior to that, I mean, one part that I kind of skipped over is I think like I've asked my son, um, my son who's 12 now, what he would like to be when he grows up. And at one point, I think he was in the fourth grade. I want to be a zoo curator. Mm. Oh, son, I, I love that you say that. Yeah. I don't even know what a zoo curator is. You know, it's, <laughs> it's fine. Yeah. Um, but now, but so I I thought that I had to be in the military, you know, mm. when I was a young kid, because to me, that was Dang. the example I had for me was my yep. dad would come home in his fatigues. He had, you know, his boots on, he'd come home and he'd, he'd, um, he'd, he'd have obviously had a long day at work. The other memory I have is he would always have a beer when he came home from work. And yep. I, so for me, I think a lot of us, you know, we see our parents doing the, this, uh, doing whatever they do, and that's who we want to emulate, you know? And so I thought, okay, I have to be in the military. And to this day, I, I joke with my, my keepers, uh, the people who work with me. Um, and I say, I always, my, my envisionment of being a man is coming home and having a beer when you get home. And I'm a lightweight. I can't, I, can't, I, I try, I, I, you know, I'm a 48 year old man and I come home, I'll try to have a beer by the time I get three sips in, I'm asleep, you know? Yeah. So, so it's, you know, the things yeah. that I wish I had questioned were, I wish I had asked, you know, um, of course now there's, there's some, some things I, I couldn't ask him because he was, he was deceased, like ask, you know, my father, you know, questions about what, what led him to being in the military? What what kind of careers could I have? Um, I didn't. I don't recall ever asking my mom that, but she kind of she taught me stuff, kind of wanting to push that 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 passion with me. Um, I wish I had asked more questions to the veterinarian for whom I worked in high school, you know, to to make to make more sense out of what veterinary medicine actually is. Now he gave me a lot of great experiences gave me the chance to uh, to witness some things that I never would have surgeries, you know, uh, handling animals. Um, but I just thought, okay, this is what you do. If you love animals now, just like I thought you had to be in the military, you love animals, got to be a veterinarian. So I never yeah. questioned it. I wish I had asked a few more questions, but I also love the fact that my career, even though I didn't know it was already being, uh, being set and and was already taking off, so I didn't. I never questioned that animals are what I want to be with. Mm. This is my career path, so uh, I'm lucky in that sense. Very lucky, Craig. Let's um let, let's talk about that a little bit more because um in the industry that we're in, there are not a lot of um, minorities um, or even you know black people mm -hmm. um, in you know, curating animals. So let's talk about some of the challenges that you have faced in your career. And, you know, for those who don't know, what is a curator? <laughs> good, 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 good stuff. A large carnivore. So, yeah, it's a, I, I joke with my museum friends because I'm, I'm lucky enough to work for the Smithsonian. So we have a, a, a large museum network. And, um, and uh, you know, even people who work within the museum network the curators who work at like the Natural History Museum or, you know, you usually think of a curator and you think of like Indiana Jones going out to go and procure uh, artifacts for an exhibit. And I, I've often joked with my friends at the art museums, you know, when they come through for a tour, like, how do you curate a painting or a, an art exhibit? Like, it's not alive. And they laugh and they say, we always wonder the same thing. How do you curate something that's alive? You know, and so it's really the same thing. So a curator is really a collections manager. And you, when you think of a zoo or an aquarium, every animal that's in that institution is a collection animal. Um, so we, we don't go out to the wild and collect those animals anymore, but we 
maintain, we manage and maintain our specific collections. So for me, the collection is big cats, primarily lions and tigers. I have some bears. So we always do the lions, tigers and bears thing. And then I have uh, domestic livestock of all things. Uh, you know, I have the the cattle and the the uh, the donkeys and the goats and so and so forth, and a couple of smaller animals in between there. Um, and my job is to, as a curator, is to maintain that collection, whether that's breeding the animals or, in the case of the the farmyard, the uh, the domestic livestock. We don't breed those guys, so I have to procure them. Usually, it's going out to a local farm here in in Maryland or Virginia, um, and and purchasing some sometimes, uh, but getting those animals either donated or purchased for exhibit, um, and then working. And when I'm lucky, I get to work on research to some degree, maintain our excuse me, mostly uh, supporting research. So if somebody is doing a research project, for instance, we have an an artificial insemination coming up here with a tiger uh, in about a month or so. Um, and so I help to coordinate all of that stuff. And it's it's really kind of a trip to me because here I am, some little kid from North Carolina in my head anyway, and I'm coordinating doing an artificial insemination on a Siberian tiger. Like, Amazing. you know, that's pretty, that's pretty dope, you know? Yeah. Um, right. And yeah, so to, to, uh, to answer your question about the the minorities you're 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 spot on there there aren't many of us here um i am one of the lucky folks who i have never in in 25 plus years of working in this industry uh i have never experienced overt racism i have experienced wow. yeah I'm, I'm very lucky in that um i have experienced just the the absolute dearth or lack of of people who look like me doing this kind of work. Um, and and so the hurdle has been more one of, um, I just don't, I don't see a lot of it. You, you guys will get this and, and I hope the listening audience will get it too, is that the hurdle has been having to spend the majority of my career um, putting on a front, you know, uh, mm. being being who everybody wants you to be and not being able to, uh, what do they call it? You have to code switch, you know, all yeah. the time. And so it's, it's being almost in permanent code switch mode uh, where, you know, I, I can talk to my guys from North Carolina when they're around and we can, we can mm. shoot, you know, mm. you know, talk, talk junk with each other, but then yeah. I'm always on show when I'm, mm here and there's no there's no outlet uh you know in, in my work environment and what it makes me feel like is or I, I have to assume it's like this for a lot of women and pick your career choice you know uh for a lot of our our, our female uh colleagues in, in so many industries who have little to no e example set forth or little to no uh direct uh, sisterhood within mm. their work environment mm. and so you you have to continually remind yourself who you are at all mm. these levels like I have to remember I'm I'm Craig Sappho I'm the son of Penny and Carl that's you know mm. <laughs> those are those are my 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 parents yeah. I am you know a a zoo curator and I'm a black man you know, and I won't forget that I'm any one of those things. And you can add more and more things like I'm an American and all these things and all that falls into place. But but to me, it's like, when do I get to express my blackness? You know, when do I get to express who I am culturally uh, to keep to keep my own uh, spirit happy? You know, yeah. and, and that's what that's the hurdle that I I lacked coming in. Um the it's hard for me to complain about too many other hurdles and barriers because for me personally my road was filled with a bunch of people who were helping to push me forward um so i i got lucky and i see i've seen recently especially that there are a lot more barriers up there than i was able to realize because i didn't face those same barriers i had i had so much help behind me 
um, that, that's why I keep stressing I was lucky in a lot of in, in so much of how things happened for me. I have a question. Oh, go ahead. I'm going to say that, you know, in that assimilation that's required when you're, what you're describing to me is isolation. Mm -hmm. Isolation from your community, isolation from authenticity. Um, and there's almost the thing that requires that causes us to internalize and feel like we have to code switch is almost kind of fearful based mm -hmm. um, because there's this ideology that, you know, um, because you don't fit the majority um, that's in your industry that you have to work harder. You have to show that you do more. You have to show that you belong. And so I, I that feels to me that isolation because I've been there feels like a barrier, an obstacle. Um, so I wanna, I wanna thank you too for, you know, I guess we'll get into that, you know, really working and having a passion towards diversifying and bringing about that community um, that you've lacked this last 25 years. Well, thank you. And it's, it, you're right. It does. And a lot of times you don't even realize it's happening until you look back after a few years and you go, wait, whoa, whoa. And so, yeah, I, I agree with you a hundred percent, Yante. That's, uh, that's something that happens to us. And you do, you have to search for who can help bring you back to focus. And and I, I do, I give 100% of that credit to my mom. <laughs> she, she, yeah. she, she would let me know real quick. Shout out moms. Yeah. moms. Hashtag mom. Hey, Craig, so, so as you progressed with your career, and now that you're seen as an expert in this industry, do you think that it's a little bit easier for you to be your, your authentic self? Can you, can I mean, for myself, like I know, I know exactly what you're talking about. When I was young, I would stay quiet. I would just try to not bring attention to myself, but but now that I'm a little bit older, I've been in this industry for a while. I'm I I am unapologetic about who I am and in coming into the room. But I've been I've proven that I can do this work, that I belong in this lane. I, I mean, do you feel that way in any form or fashion? One hundred percent, one hundred percent. You you hit it on the head that you go through this field. I think I. Again, I, I have trouble discerning sometimes if it's just my thoughts coming from Craig, the black man, or if this is how everybody feels, because I only I only know my own thoughts. And because there are so few of us in this field, I can't go to my brother over there and say, yo, you feeling the same way? Um, I, I can assume that others who, who might uh, be animal managers have felt similarly um, but they've also had examples set forth for them of who does this kind of work, whether it's the crocodile hunter or Jane Goodall or, you know, whomever. I, I can look to those people and go, wow, they're really good people, but I don't see myself in them. So when I see, when I try to do it, you hit it on the head, Jason, that you feel like I have to give 120% to make sure that something doesn't happen or that that I've put all my ducks in a row so that if something does happen, for example, I had a bobcat escape uh, about three, four years ago, somewhere in that that range. And my first thought was, okay, here, here it goes. The black curator had his bobcat get out. Awesome. Um, and I'm, I have to think that that's not what people were thinking. They were probably just thinking the dumb Smithsonian guy let the, <laughs> let the bobcat out. But, but for me, everything reflects back to how is this or goes back to how is this going to reflect on not just me, but my community as a whole, because I am the black curator mm -hmm, here mm -hmm. anyway, and, and I am the only black curator here. Uh, so how is that going to make not just me look, but my people look in the eyes of others? And so you do feel a burden of having to carry that weight, um, whether it's it's real or self-imposed, you feel like it's on you. Uh, and it, it, it it's something that you you learn to live with but then as you said you you also hit it on the head with now 25 years later i i orchestrated the first litter of cheetah cubs born at the smithsonian i've had lion cubs born under my belt i've had tiger cubs born under my belt i have a i have an exam tomorrow for some bear cubs that we have i've i've sent tigers to Japan. I've, I've gone to Africa. I've gone to South America. I've got, got this laundry list of things that I've been able to do. But yes, with a whole lot of help from a whole lot of people, right. but I've been there and I've done that. And so now I can speak to that 
and and I can say, I am good at what I do. So regardless of what I say, regardless of how I sound, regardless of what slang I use, how I talk, I can tell people, yo, I don't know what you just said. When I'm listening yeah. to a veterinarian talk to me and they get real sciency, I can say, yeah. you know what? I don't know what that means. And, <laughs> right. and, and I can say that with the confidence that or with knowing confidently that they can't possibly think I'm stupid because right. I I produce these cubs that you're working yeah. on right now. So yeah. you I'm I might be ignorant of your specific science, but come over and do my science. And so we can throw <laughs> but I know this. I know down. this right here. Exactly. <laughs> I can throw those gauntlets down. And it doesn't even feel uh it doesn't even it doesn't even give me the feeling that I'm ostracized anymore. It makes me feel like I just, I bring something to the table too. You know, we all do. So, and, and then I've been, I've been really, really fortunate to have discovered more and more of my black colleagues as I, as I've gotten further into my career and I've been able to, to kind of kick it with those folks. And, uh, and we, we laugh, we joke, we, we have our time where we, you know, we'll go, we'll go give each other a dap or something mm-hmm. and yeah. uh and we can see it doesn't feel like we're we're being phony or anything like that but that's just you know when i when when i see my my white colleagues and the the first thing that i do is when you meet somebody is you shake their hand you know that's what you do you shake somebody's hand but when i meet one of my brothers and i and and we 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 hug it in you get that yeah 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 and yeah, it's, like, that's it's the, like, yeah that's the international welcome right there exactly. <laughs> you know, like or, hey I'm not alone. I'm not exactly, alone. exactly. Or that that simple feeling you have when, when our head pathologist is a black man, and when he sees me and he says, "What's up, brother?" And yeah. when somebody just man. calls you brother like that, and it comes from that place, it it's it's all good. And so I've I've been fortunate to feel that side of it now. And when we do that, we'll we had again we had a meeting this morning, a veterinary meeting this morning, and and Neil, our pathologist, was there, and we hugged it out, and uh, and it didn't. It didn't didn't make us feel awkward. I don't know if it made anybody yeah. else feel awkward, but it right. didn't matter. You know, it was right. That's it. Yes. So so yeah, yes. it's you you have that feeling. I'm I'm very fortunate to be so many years into my career that I don't I don't have to apologize either anymore. And I I love that feeling. It's very liberating. Yeah. Would you would you describe that? Um, you will you describe a, a few different scenarios like. There's there's been calls or or now uh, I know myself Yante and Jay like we we'll find ourselves in rooms where um, I know for me uh, sometimes like th- when the conversation starts going I'm like what what is he saying right I'm like I'm I'm not a dumb guy but I was like this is flying past me mm-hmm. and because in this in this space what we do we we know what we do mm-hmm. and I said now there there will be moments where I'll sit there I said. Am I just like a lack of comprehension? But kind of to your point, I, I I I dial back to I know who raised me, I know where I'm from, I knows who I am, and I know this business. And if I have a question, I'm going to ask it, and we're going to proceed accordingly. Um, but I found myself in that space of having to remind myself who I am. The second, which you mentioned, of that in the, in our in our environment when there are few that embrace or that acknowledgement from a from another brother or sister it can set the it can set the place in a totally different light for you and i know at sometimes i'll minimize it but i have to remember like be intentional about it right like like especially when there's only a few of us in there acknowledge and say like hey i'm here just like you here and we're here for each other did you guys catch how tony when he was reflecting about his mom, his family, like when he was reflecting about where he came from, he he used language that's really authentically and culturally ours. He says, I knows who I is. <laughs> Did I say it? Did I say it? <laughs> I know it. I know it. Man, I just spent I just spent I just spent three days with my mom and man, and it's I just I'm just so thankful. So so when you so when you spoke about it, I could I could feel it. I could feel it. I could yeah. feel it. You know where you know where that's coming from. That's uh, yeah. yeah, I love it. I love it. Yeah. So, so authenticity. I'm sorry, go ahead, Yate. I was gonna say pulling that cultural authenticity. Um, this is this is an environment that we can do that. Um mm-hmm. I know how excited I was when I came to SSA 
um, it was a big deal to say, hey, my manager is a black man. Mm-hmm. And um, that's, you know, to other black people, they understand like, wow, oh, really? Right. Versus if I say it in spaces where it's like, that's unfamiliar, it's like, okay, so your manager's a black man, you know, like, what's the purpose of that? The representation and how it, you know, not only it goes beyond communication, it goes, it, it becomes passion, it becomes support. Um, you know, I feel like I can, you know, communicate with my team, you know, how I feel, what's going on, what my needs are. It's just a more comfortable space that people who haven't been uncomfortable before in their space have no idea what you're talking about. Anybody else experienced that? Yeah, I think all of us have. I mean, just being in the industry that we're in and in the environments that we work in, I think, you know, obviously the landscape's changing more and more every day. And I think a lot of that has to do with you know, what, what Craig's doing in the environment that he's creating with some of the organizations that he's building up and the networking and all that stuff. I don't know. I mean, can you elaborate a little bit on, on some of the, your, uh, your organization and what you guys do and, and uh, what's the intention and goal there? What's the mission? Uh, that's a perfect segue. It's like you guys have done this before. <laughs> Y'all are pretty good at this. Um, it, 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 you, Yante, you said it exactly. It's the, um, it's the the representation that is necessary to make you feel welcomed in in whatever it is you're doing. And I, I felt the same thing when I when I say this to people of color, not even just black people, but I found that that my uh, my I, I will always butcher it, but I, I'm so used to saying Hispanic, Latinx uh, uh, brothers and sisters have told me they feel the same way. Our Asian colleagues have said that they feel the same way. Um, we have several I, I've I've met more than a, a more than one uh, uh, Middle Eastern colleague who has said that they felt the same way said just not seeing yourself in in this field can be awfully daunting. Um, and when I mentioned it to my white friends, actually, before we actually started the AMZAP organization, AMZAP is the acronym for the Association of Minority Zoo and Aquarium Professionals. Um, and we started that in uh, 2021. Uh, so we're just about to turn two years old. Um, when I when it was first just a budding thought in my head, I was actually at the Felid Tag conference. So SSA works with a bunch of um, a bunch of zoos and aquariums that are part of the AZA organization, the American the Association of Zoos and Aquariums. It used to be back in the day. I'm, I'm aging myself. It used to be the American Association of Zoos and Aquariums, but it's the Association of Zoos and Aquariums. Um, well, the AZA organization has meetings for the various taxa of animals that that are managed within AZA. The taxa are the the families of animals. So um so like the cats, there's a there's a felid tag, taxon advisory group, where basically I call it the cat nerd group. Um, so we all get together uh annually. It's very much like the AZA conference. Uh, I know I know Jason, you've been to the AZA conferences because we I, I met you at one. Um but you know you've been, so you have these big industry-wide meetings. This one is for cats specifically. Well, I'm usually the only, as my mom would say, the only black IP in the bowl full of rice at that meeting. You know, I'm I'm the only one there. Every once in a while, I'll see a black colleague there, like Amos Morris, who's the director out at uh, uh, at the Milwaukee County Zoo. Uh, every once in a while, I'll see Amos at the meetings. Well, then there's two of us. Well, I don't I don't know Amos that well i know him because we often share a glance across the room like ah <laughs> there's another one but <laughs> but uh you know amos is 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 the top dog at his zoo i'm i'm not the top dog i don't i don't run in that same circle so we don't we're not direct colleagues but either way you kind of get the message anytime you have a meeting where there are hundreds of participants and you can count on your hand <laughs> the number who look like you, you feel kind of out of place. So that's not to say that I don't have friends within the feeling tag. So when this when this idea of 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 a group for black zoo keepers at that time uh, was in my head was because the meeting was at um, this particular meeting was in Fresno, California. And we went out and during the zoo day, we went to the lion exhibit where they were going to do some training. And uh, one of the keepers came out 
and I did, I did, I, I have to apologize ahead of time or in hindsight for having done it, but I profiled this young man, you know, he came out with, to train the lion. And my immediate thought was, oh, they let their volunteers come out and do this stuff because my immediate thought was black guy, young black guy mm-hmm. has to be a volunteer. He can't be a keeper, yeah. you know, uh, but then he came out and he started training the lions. This is a keeper. You know, he's he's an animal keeper at the Fresno Zoo. Uh, so when I saw that, I was like, yo, it's another black guy <laughs> taking care of lions. Yeah. Yeah, I take care of lions. Yeah. I thought I was the only one. <laughs> so yeah. we yeah. hold on, Craig. On that one, can we just talk about like culturally, right? I mean, we know that you're like when like when I contacted you and it opened up, and I'm like, oh man, a black man, a curator. I had no idea what a curator, but in my head, you were like riding side by side out there, you know, catching lions. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> He's not Tarzan. Yeah, okay. I have a very vivid imagination. Um, and but like when I think about that culturally, like it's like, hey, you know, like we don't get close, like you're like, hey, don't get close to these animals. You know, um, there's even a stereotype, you know, um, when I was like paddle boarding in the ocean, my mom, who was on the beach with me, said, hey, you never heard of a black woman getting eaten by a shark. Don't be the first one. Those are cultural statements that really kind of like, you know, become embedded in our subconscious. And so like, even though you're a black man, look at another black man in there, it's like, you know, it's not natural because it, culturally we just. Yeah. Right, right hitting twice at the same place. Yeah. You don't we don't it. we don't do that. We don't take care of animals. Right. Nah, no, right. that's not us. No, you're no, you're right on. Peace. Absolutely not. <laughs> yeah. It's a it's a thing, and it that that plays into the whole AMZAP uh, idea. But uh, when I was at Fresno and I I saw this young man, I got excited. So like culturally, it made it kind of stoked a fire to me that said, not there was no competition there. It wasn't you can't do this because I'm the only one who can do it. It was dude, you're in California doing this. I'm in DC doing this. Okay, now I'm starting to think there must be more between you know California and DC. There must be more of us who, who are doing this stuff, but I don't know any of them. And why don't I know any of them? And is there any, is there any way that I can connect with some more of us? Because this is making me excited now, just seeing one other brother who is doing this kind of work. Um, so... Uh, I was I was walking through the zoo with with some of my white colleagues, and uh, I remember very clearly saying to one of my white colleagues, "I I want to connect with other black people who are doing this kind of work, and and I want to try to make it something that that we I, I have no idea what this is going to look like, but I'm my head is going crazy." And one of my white male colleagues, as we were walking through, and this is a guy I respect. I have a I have a ton of respect for him. He says, why does it matter? And I just went, why does it matter? Of course, it doesn't matter to you because you see yourself in all of our leadership. You see yourself every time you come to this meeting in the in the people who are getting ready to retire and you're getting ready to take their place and doing all of this. To me, it matters greatly that I can see other people who look like me. And I, I bring it back to to Yante, to your when you say that when I when I have a white colleague who says that they don't get why it matters. And I didn't say this to my colleague at the time because I couldn't think of it. I couldn't process. I was just taken aback by him saying, why does it matter? Um, I could never imagine saying to a little girl, why does it matter that you see a woman doing the kind of work that you want to do uh because women have done such a great job at since since as far back as i can remember since the 80s at doing the whole uh if you can see her you can be her routine you know and you know you see a a female scientist yeah women can do math you know women can do science women can do all of this stuff and, and do it really well you know and uh and you know what black people can take care of animals and we can do it really well if if you don't get sensitive about the jokes, you know, the, the, the jokes are real and they, and it does my, my friends back in North Carolina, my, my boys still, uh, whenever I go home, 
Man, you still messing with them lions. Yes. <laughs> I'm still messing with them lions. So I, I go and I wrestle them every day. That one will never get old. That one will never get old. <laughs> it, it won't. It won't. So so no, it's when I see my white colleagues, I think it's it's equally as important to to bring in our 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 young potential students of of color. Uh I um I think it's equally, I've learned that it's equally as important to help our white colleagues understand why it's important for us to see the the um, the the people who look like us doing this work. And the easiest connection that I can make for them that, that they've almost universally understood is when I bring up the comparison to women, uh, young young women seeing female professionals at work doing yeah. whatever it is that they're doing. Uh, and that seems to hit home because I, I don't think it's intentional racism. I think it, it's uh, I, I don't know all the fancy terms for it. I know there there must must be some term for it, but where where it's just unconscious, unconscious bias is the first thing I can think of is when when you see all you see is yourself there. Of course, it doesn't matter to you what kind of representation other people have because you have representation. Yeah, I, I think it's different though when you when you see when you make that comparison to women, right? It's like we all have mother, we all have sisters, cousins, nieces, and so you know when you can make that comparison and, and see how it impacts them, then it makes it a little bit easier to digest what you're saying. Right, right, and that's that's the thing is that we with the you asked um, Jason what the what the whole scope of AMZAP was. Well, the scope is just that, just what, what we've been talking about. It's that it's that um, representation that. I, I want, I don't view it as uh, as somebody um, using me to be the poster child for, for being a curator in, in a zoo. I, I view it as if you put my face out there, then some black kid somewhere is going to see that, yo, he's doing that. Now, you know, in our in our own community, they might go, what is he? I don't know what he is. He might be black. He might be something, but he ain't. <laughs> he ain't white, you know. And so, yeah. and, and you know, we get into all those. And I and I, I actually, I, I, I appreciate those those kind of jokes and comments as as well. But we, what I want them to see is that I think actually I won't even steal the the phrase. But when when this AMZAP thing got started, and you know, I started hearing from some of my colleagues, from some people professionally who I've read about. But never thought that I would get a chance to meet people like um, like Joelle Mogerman uh, at the St. Louis Zoo, uh, uh, um, Brian Davis at the Georgia Aquarium, you know Denise Verrett at L.A. You know these are black people who are who are having having big articles written about them being the first black you know director or the first black uh, scientist working in their area. Well, when Brian Davis and I spoke and he refused to let me call him Dr. Davis, you know, he was like, Brian, you're going to call me Brian because we're friends, you know, and I'm like, OK, just right off the bat. One of the things that he said that has stuck with me is that the importance that he's seen of showing black kids that it's OK to be a nerd. It's okay to be mm. black and interested in science because I think the other thing culturally mm. that happens with us sometimes, and it's not just our community. I've heard the same thing from our Hispanic, my Hispanic friends, um, and, and probably other cultures, is that science, science is for nerds. Nerds are are the white kids who sit back and that's for them. It's not for us, but it is for us. Science is just as much for us as it is for any other race, any other culture out there. And we can do it and we can be proud that we're doing it. So uh, Brian told me that, you know, he used to have to walk to and from school with his science book tucked in his jacket because he didn't want to get beat up, you know, <laughs> walking, mm. walking with a science book. So that's that's the the change that I would love to see. And that's what AMZAP is trying to do is pull some of those, pull the people out who thought that they were isolated and alone because you might be isolated at your individual zoo or institution or aquarium, but you're not alone in this community. And if you can see that there are other people who look sound like you doing this kind of work, then you can reach out, you can ask us questions. Hey, just because I haven't felt that racism doesn't mean that you haven't. And I, I've felt racism in other aspects of my life. Don't, don't get me mistaken there, but not in my zoo family. And so maybe 
that person who works in a zoo where they have felt some some racism maybe they can understand that it's not broad stroke across this whole this whole uh this whole discipline um you know there are there are there are bad actors no matter where we go but but we can't let them push us out you know we're we're here we and we have a lot of support from from our our friends in the majority our white friends so the, this whole anzap group as we developed it has turned into this community this community of networking and and helping each other the same way that people helped push me when i got into this field um and so it's both for the 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 pipeline of people who are already in this this field but feel like we're alone and then the pipeline of people who want to get into this field but don't know quite how because the crocodile hunter is white jane goodall's white. everybody <laughs> yeah. who they see is white well hopefully they're going to yeah. start seeing more and more people like myself and, and, a, and a bunch of what i found are a bunch of my colleagues uh who are who are people of color and i'm finding more and more black people and i love that i love that for myself that's the, my selfish part of it but i also do love to see to see our hispanic our asian our 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 friends of all different cultures yeah let's see sorry not sorry right exactly <laughs> exactly like you said unapologetic right yep yep hey, hey craig we're gonna um we're gonna have to wrap this up. I mean, this has been a great conversation. We may even need to schedule a, a part two. Part two. Which we, uh, I think a part two definitely yeah. a lot more questions. Yeah, a lot more questions. But this has been um, this has been great, and uh, want to thank you for your time. And uh, we'll uh, we'll circle back on the backside and, and try to try to schedule that part two. But yeah, man, this has been this has been a huge learning moment and, and a lot of uh, just like a lot of good conversation and dialogue. So thank you. I love it. Thank you guys for inviting me in. I love it. All right. All right, talk to you later. We'll we'll talk soon. Sounds good. Thank you, Craig. Thanks, Dante. Talk to you later. Bye-bye.